This time of year is a season full of excitement. The whole culture sort of gets wound up. And uh, it's a season of anticipation. I'd like you to think back to when you were a child. In the English-speaking world, it's a big part of the excitement of Christmas. A big part of the excitement of Christmas is the excitement of Christmas. <laughs> the anticipation, the feeling of, I can't wait. Mostly that's about, I can't wait to see what I'm going to get. And my understanding is, in the Dutch-speaking world, that same kind of excitement revolves around Sinterklaas. The anticipation of some special gift. I can see uh, kids putting the carrot in the shoe, thinking, what's going to be there instead of the carrot tomorrow? It's anticipation. In church, we have the season of Advent. We want to uh, re-engage with that sense of anticipation, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. The fulfillment of God's promise in the most lavish gift possible, the gift of His Son. We can read about this in the book of Galatians. And if you have a Bible, you could look at Galatians chapter 4. Which reads, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the, until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his Spirit, the Spirit of his Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God." Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? This text says, opens with this expression, when we were children. When we were children. And it 
gives us a, an outline of our pre-Christian condition. And this is as much about the history of the world as it is about my individual life, but it's really about both. The world before Christ and what, how Christ changed the world. You've heard me say every Christmas uh, since before I was here to say it here, Christmas changes everything. Christmas is a transforming event. Everything is different because Christ was born. And that's what this text is about. In what ways? In particular, how has it changed us, his people? He says, when we were children, and he reminds us about the nature of being children. <laughs> children are under guardians and managers. Children are told. Children don't get to decide. Children are told. You remember that? You remember that anticipation that said, I can't wait till I'm a grown up? <laughs> I wonder how we all feel about that now. So we're under guardians and managers. If, I, if I'm not being told by my father, I'm being told by someone my father chose to tell me. I'm not deciding. Now, he goes on here to talk about this in a spiritual sense. He says, we were enslaved, just the way children are sort of enslaved. Even a child who's one day going to run the company, he doesn't run it when he's a child. He says, in a similar way, all of us, in our spiritual condition, are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What is that? What is the elementary principle of the world? Well, he gives a little additional hint when he uses this expression, under the law. Well, that's kind of how children, children are under the law. Because the parents, what do they do? They want the, to govern the child's behavior even when they are not there to say exactly what the child is to do. So what do they do? Well, they have rules. So even when my father was not present, I knew the rules. And I knew that's what I had to do, or I would receive the punishment. So we are under the law. And that is our spiritual condition. If the sun never comes, that's just where we are. That's where we will stay. If the sun never comes, 
You see, it's a covenant of works. You do the deed, you receive the reward, or you do the wrong deed and you receive the punishment. It's plain and simple. It's a system of merit. It's a system of prove yourself. It's a covenant of works. Most importantly, the most important thing about that system that is our spiritual condition apart from Christ. The most important thing we can say about that condition is it's a system with no liberty. Even when we declare our independence, we are under law. So Adam and Eve in the garden can declare their independence and call themselves free. And they, at the same moment, die. There's no escaping the law. It's a system without liberty. So this is something every child understands. This is where that impulse of looking forward to being a grown-up comes from. To getting out from under the rules. To decide for ourselves. So that was our condition. But that is not a condition God left us in. So what does he say? But, you know, in the text of the Bible, that's often a very significant word. Like in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive again, together with Christ. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. This is Christmas. This is the biggest gift ever given. It is the biggest gift imaginable. There is nothing that could possibly be any better than God sent forth his Son. The eternal second person of the triune God, sent by the Father. Now, he tells us when this happened, when the fullness of time had come. Now, we already read about our condition as children under guardians and managers until the date until the date set by the father so there's a time coming when the child will be free of the guardians and managers when the fullness of time had come god sent forth his son that's the date set Do you know that Christmas, the original Christmas, the day, whatever day it was that Jesus was actually born, is a date set in eternity past? That it is at exactly the right time in the history of humanity. It was the time set from before the beginning. It's called the fullness of time meaning long enough. It's been long enough. And this is determined in the counsel of God 
the three persons of the Trinity before they make anything. The fullness of time, the date is set long enough. It's been long enough under the law. It's been long enough enslaved to self-righteousness. Long enough under just follow the rules. Long enough with no free righteousness. Long enough of self-righteousness. Long enough to improve yourself and see if God approves of you. The time to grow up has come in the birth of Christ. At just the right time. Now, it's clear by now if we're reading the book of Galatians, and if you read, you know, the first three chapters, you'd know this. It's clear by now that we fail in our rule-keeping, in our childishness, that no one's ever succeeded in actually pleasing God by keeping God's rules. And Paul says it quite clearly here in the book of Galatians, no works of the law can justify a person before God. So we're stuck in a system that provides no freedom. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son long enough in that way that just demonstrates our own need. And right here in the book of Galatians, we read that that's the reason God does it this way. The reason for the law is to lead us to the need of our Savior. And so, at just the right time, God sent forth His Son. Did you notice how He sent forth His Son? And this might be the most impressive, the most shocking, the most surprising thing in the whole story. And he uses this word twice. How does he send forth his son? Born. <laughs> Born. Born. Jesus well, Jesus was born. The Son, the Eternal One, maybe could have just showed up. He'd done it before. He showed up to Adam. He showed up to Abraham. He showed up at various times. He could have just showed up again. Well, actually, that would not have worked. That would not have accomplished the thing for which God was sending forth His Son this day, this day at the fullness of time. 
What is different this time is he is born of a woman. Now, this word born is really interesting because it's the word begotten. It's the same word that if you read the, well, it's a related word. If you read the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew, Adam, or, or <laughs> sorry, uh, Adam begot, Abraham begot, I'm sorry, I don't remember the list, the names. So-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so. It goes all the way down to Jesus. But this begetting is of a woman. Now, we should all remember what we said, noticed last week, that this is the very thing that God said to the serpent in the garden, the seed of the woman. Here a woman is begetting a son. The son is born of a woman. Normally, we would say so-and-so is born of his father. That might strike us as a kind of odd since obviously it's mothers who give birth. But we're talking about how and needs a father and a mother, this time just a mother. It's a unique birth among births. And so the son is born of a woman, the son becoming helpless. The eternal one is a baby child, utterly dependent, Wow. Then we notice some other way he's born. He's born under the law. That's the same condition we are in under the law when he's born. Under the law. He's born under the law. He's born into our spiritual condition, the condition of earn it. He subjects himself to the law. His own law. He subjects himself to the law, but he must be born to do that. He must be a human being if his subjection to the law will have any meaning at all. It is no thing at all for God to obey the law of God. It is a magnificent thing for a man to obey the law of God and to do so perfectly. As in not only the outward expressions, but also the heart, the spirit of the law. So he subject himself he subjected himself. And then it says this he was born of a woman, born under the law, born into our condition to redeem, to redeem, to redeem those who are under the law. Now he talked about being under the law as a slavery, right? He says being under the law is being a slave. 
And so to be redeemed is to be bought out of slavery, to be released from the demand of the law of God. And to redeem those who are under the law means to pay the price of our release. And what is that? What was the price of our release? Well, first of all, it's the setting aside. It's the emptying himself that was involved in his becoming one of us in the first place. You can read that about that in Philippians chapter 2. Who, though in his nature he thought nothing of being equal with God, he laid aside and found himself one of us. That word that is translated there, laid it aside, is the word to empty. So in his humanity, he is the Son of God and he is, has laid aside his independent exercise of his divine nature in order to live truly as one of us. This is one of the deepest and most profound mysteries of the Christian faith. And we call it, it has, we have a word for it, it's kenosis, which is based on the Greek word in that text. And so he emptied himself to be born. The other thing that's involved in the price of our redemption that he paid is his perfectly righteous life under the law. Imagine this. Well, you can't. You cannot imagine this. There's a number of little children in here this morning, tiny babies even. By the time they can make a decision, they will be disobedient. Because we're all born in this condition of slavery and disobedience. We are all related to Adam in this way. We have all decided to go our own way from God and we do it from the very earliest age. We, no one has to teach anyone how to sin. Or that they want to. So imagine the Lord Jesus, the little kid, the three-year-old Jesus even, not one iota of disobedience. He perfectly obeys the righteous demands of the law of God in every last detail, including the detail of his heart being in it. As a human being, it is one of the most heroic things ever done. Most of you probably have brothers and sisters, or a brother or a sister. I find that it's in that relationship as children where our sinfulness is most readily exposed. I just compete with them for no good reason. 
I could just enjoy hurting them. Or gaining some advantage that they don't get. Why does me getting something, why is me getting something better if they don't get it? That never occurred to Jesus, who did have brothers and sisters. Treated them like they ought to be treated under the law of God every minute of every day, his whole life. Perfectly righteous life. That's a, that is a high price. I think you can imagine the suffering of the Son of God dealing with sinful parents. Honoring them as the law requires. The next thing that's involved in the price of our redemption that Jesus paid, he paid the price of our release from this condition was his atoning sacrifice. Now, if he hadn't lived the perfect life, his sacrifice would have been meaningless. But he did live the perfect life, and his sacrifice means everything. And it atones for sin on behalf of people in general. So that my sin, my sin is covered by his sacrifice. The other part, part of the price he pays, that he pays every day, all day, to this day, is his ongoing intercession for you and for me. For every person who's trusted in him, Christ intercedes before the throne of grace, before the throne of God, before the throne of God's judgment, so that any moment, if I do wrong, the Lord Jesus, the man, Jesus, stands before Almighty God and says, it's covered. It's covered. It's covered. My guess is he never has to stop. He never has a second breath. That his intercession must be continuous at all times. In fact, I guess, I think that his intercession is a matter of his presence with the scars of the cross before the throne of God. And my union with him and his presence there intercedes on my behalf so that my sins are never held against me by God. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, born into our condition to redeem us from that condition. This has a purpose in this text. So, God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law to pay the price of our release so that, we read in the next verse, so that, 
so that we might receive adoption as sons. Oh, so it turns out we were not actual children yet, just slaves. And this adoption is possible because of this redemption. This this adoption is possible because he paid the price of our release. And so makes us acceptable children to God. (laughs) Now, adoption is a change of status. It's a legal status. So that I was not his child, and now that I've been adopted, I am his child. That's my status. I'm no longer a slave. I am now a son. So adoption brings the rights and privileges of sonship, the right to know God as our Father. And so he goes on, because you are sons... God did something more. God did something more. (laughs) I mean, think of what we've mentioned so far that he's done. It's the most amazing, the most astounding, the greatest gift possible that you could even think of, and you would never think of it. It is the gift of his son, the Lord Jesus, who paid the price for my release, but there's more. Because you're sons now, because of this change of status purchased at the price of the cross, because of the Lord Jesus, his intercession, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his intercession for you, your union with him, because that has made you God's child, God did something more. God sent forth the spirit of his son. Now, he doesn't just say the Spirit here. He says the Spirit of his Son. Because what we're talking about is the change from slave to son, the change that God has rendered in our life, that we have been transformed from slave to son, to child, to loved one, to relation. And so he says, God didn't just send forth the Spirit. He sent forth the Spirit of his Son. The Spirit, you might say, of sonship. And where did he send it? Into our hearts. Into our hearts. And we read in the book of Ephesians how the Spirit might work by the power of God in our hearts so that Christ, His Son, may dwell in our hearts through faith. That we might be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. And that is what we're talking about here. The Spirit of His Son has been sent into our hearts. And you might remember we mentioned this last week. This is part of the ancient promise of God, that one day He would circumcise our hearts, that one day He would actually pour out His Spirit, and His Spirit would actually come to dwell in the hearts of His people so that they would be rendered 
freely righteous. Nobody would have to explain to them the value of obeying God. They would see it for themselves because they have this spirit. They would be transformed. You see, the first change was a change of status. This is a change of heart. A change of status from slave to son, this is a change of heart. A change of our very nature. And this spirit cries, Abba, Father. It's very interesting to me that in this text, it's the spirit that cries. The spirit cries, Abba, Father. And this is the Abba of a true child that recognizes their dad. This is the Abba of a mature son. This is the Abba of a son with liberty and responsibility. I had a conversation with my father shortly before he died, if I remember correctly. And we were driving for some reason. I don't even remember. And I had to have been on vacation. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been driving down this particular road with my father at that time. And we're just having casual conversation. And if you know me and if you knew my father, you'd know a casual conversation is a pretty low level of conversation. <laughs> like there's not a lot of talking going on while we're driving down the road, but there's some. And I remember, I think I was sharing my experience in the church where I was the youth pastor at that time. And I had this experience now my brother had moved to Nashville where the church was and we had uh, had the opportunity on various occasions to teach together and to figure out this text of scripture and teach it to other people and to do that together with my brother, which was one of the blessings of my life, I have to say, to have that opportunity with him. Uh, and I was sharing this with my dad, and he made some sort of offhand compliment. Like, uh, something like, well, not everybody's smart enough to do that. I mean, really casual. And uh, <laughs> I remember this conversation now. It's more than 20 years later. Because my father just blessed me that day. He wasn't even doing it on purpose. But he was giving me credit as a free, responsible son. He didn't say it, but he did say, I'm proud of you. And this is the grown son. This is a son that's no longer under the rules, but a son who's free to do the right thing and does it because he's been taught to do it and that it's right and good, and he sees it as an opportunity, not as a 
burdensome demand. And that is what we're talking about when we talk about the Father sending His Spirit into our hearts so that we, so that the Spirit in us cries, Abba, Father. We recognize Him as our Father, our provider, our protector, our loved one. And it transforms us. It's a change of nature, a change of heart. And it moves from I have to. Oh, do I have to? Do I have to? To I can. I get to. From this is what I must do to this is what I get to do with reference to my obedience to this Father. I can see it for myself because His Spirit dwells in me. Now here's an observation I have about myself and about a lot of Christians. We're like spiritual teenagers in this respect. You remember when you were a young teenager and you weren't sure you wanted to grow up? anymore because you get right up to that border and you see oh grown up is not everything I imagined it to be and you get ambivalent you get to where you're not so sure and you might want to stay a child forever where people take care of you and they just tell you what to do you don't have to figure anything out and a lot of Christians, I think, live in this sort of spiritual teenagerhood where we go, oh, I'm not sure I want the responsibility of being free. What happens to a lot of Christians in that instance is they become legalists. They say, just tell me the rules. And they live by the rules as though they weren't free. And guess what? They're never any good at it. They don't actually develop any moral ability by just going by the rules. But it's a way of escape of mature sonship. But what we are called to be as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to exercise free righteousness. Well, that doesn't mean you're not supposed to obey. That means you're supposed to see the value of obeying. Because the very spirit of obedience dwells in you. The very spirit that animated little boy Jesus animates you. And so you have this grand opportunity of obedience, which is no longer a burden. There's no longer any or else attached to the law of God for anyone who is in Christ. The Scripture says this quite plainly in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you disobey, Jesus says it's covered. 
And some people say, well, then why obey? So this is the other thing that happens to the spiritual teenager, the perpetual teenager, is he becomes, uh, well, loose. He says, well, never mind obey then. I'll just do what I think is fun. He's the opposite of a legalist, and he's also not getting it. Because he's engaged in all kinds of unhealthy, damaging behavior. So we have a new relationship to God that is because he sent forth his son. He sent forth his son so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because we're sons, he sent forth his spirit so that we now are his true sons. And we see what he values, and we value it also. I just want to encourage you, don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. Exercise this amazing liberty of the love of God. In other words, you're allowed to just go out into the world wherever you go and express the heart of God to the people around you. The loving heart of God, the redeeming heart of God. You're even allowed to make a sacrifice for someone else's benefit and so put the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ on display for everyone to see. What a fantastic opportunity you have. Don't turn it down. Don't be dumb. Take it. And so he says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. A son. And if a son, then an heir. So God has adopted you. God has put his spirit in you. So now you're not just adopted. You have the genetics. He's put his spirit in you. So you're a true son of God. And if a son, then an heir. So do you know that whatever Jesus inherits, you inherit in Christ? That the Bible says if God has given us his only son, will he not also with him freely give us most of the rest of stuff as well? Oh, no, that's not what it says. It doesn't say most of the rest of stuff. It says all things. Jesus Christ is the inheritor of all things, and in him so are you. That the Bible promises you that you will rule together with Christ. That you will actually realize God's dream, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let him rule. Oh, and then it says this. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. (laughs) So there's no, you didn't do this. You didn't make this happen. You didn't earn this. It's through God. And what I want to notice here at the end of this little story is now we, because we are sons, we are heirs. Because we are sons, we are heirs. Oh, 
So here we are back at the Advent time, back at the promise-seeking time, looking forward time, just like someone might have been, and many people were, at the time of Jesus, looking for this God sending forth His Son. We are also looking for God sending forth His Son again. Because this is also in the promise of Christ that He would return for us and that we would see the full realization of this transformation of our humanity when He comes again. And so we are not just looking back to God's fulfillment of His promise, God sent forth His Son. We are also heirs, and so we are looking forward to that very same promise. God will send forth His Son. And in that, all our spiritual teenager ideas will be resolved. We will remove all our doubts about whether we really want to be God's grown-up children. Meanwhile, we can act in anticipation of that promise. We can live with the joyful expectation of the next Christmas. The next Advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. What can we say to the, all this, Lord? But thank you. Doesn't seem like we can say it hard enough. Lord, help us in this life. Lead us by this Spirit that you've poured into our hearts. By this love that He pours into our hearts. Lead us. Make us true reflections. Make us true followers. Make us real sons. Help us in living this way now to turn away from some kind of slavery under the law, to turn away from some kind of rebellious living, and to turn to Christ, to follow Christ, to obey Christ, because you make it possible, and we know it's good. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.